you can't stand still if the world around you keeps spinning. Like you've got to keep in touch with the world and, and people are evolving as consumers' preferences, the way we run our lives. Like it's fundamentally the role of tech. I mean, it's just we're not in the same place as a world that we were 15 years ago. Welcome to Bruce News Week, recorded on 30th June 2022. Happy end of financial year, everyone. I am Matt Kierkegaard, founder and editor of Bruce News, and I'm joined by industry consultant Sabrina Kunz and brewer Ian Watson. Welcome to you both. Hey, Matt. Hello. Good to have you back, Ian. Yes, good to be back. So, uh, yeah, we get it's, it's good to have a professional on, on, on the panel every now and then. So you're we, saying we, you're not professional? I am what I am. I and do we're missing the formidable Claire Burnett because she's on vacation. She's on vacation, yes. So uh, sorry, I should, I should, I should have said that. It's how quickly we forget. <laughs> <laughs> so no, we we do miss Claire. Um, well, I'm pretty sure on a holiday she won't be listening to this. Oh, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't be if I was in Portugal at a wedding. <laughs> I would be oh, because nice. I don't have a wife. But anyway, speaking of which, let's get on and look at the news. But before we get to the news, just wanted to let our listeners know that this week on Brewery Pro, which is our sister podcasting channel, if you go to your favourite podcast app and search for Brews News Brewery Pro, you will find it and uh, subscribe to it because there's some high quality brewing industry specific content. Uh, and you can find more of the panel discussions from the Western Australian Beer and Brewing Conference that was presented by the Western Australian Brewers Association. We had some really, really good panels, really strong panellists uh, on becoming carbon neutral. Marketing to Millennials, which was a fascinating discussion, creating a world-class brew pub and crafting an ale trail. These are four panels that any brewing industry professional uh, should be listening to to really understand the best advice uh, that you can get in the market at the moment. This series was brought to you by our good friends at Bintani, our broadcast partner for the Western Australian Brewers Association Conference. And if you haven't already, go and subscribe to Brewery Pro and listen to those podcasts. Now on for the news of the week. Uh, the headlines, Little Bang sells to Duxton Pubs Group. Little Bang Brewing in Adelaide has been sold to the Duxton Pubs Group in a move that will see the Adelaide Craft Brewery become, and I quote, more widely available and its independence fiercely protected. The purchase by Duxton Pubs Group is the latest addition to the rapidly expanding pub group's business that now includes more than a dozen hotels in South Australia, growing to a dozen from buying its first one in 2020. The sale price was not disclosed for the brewery that is currently making 400,000 litres per annum. The only other story for this week is... The ongoing saga of brew continues as brew continues liquidations and business restructure. Last week, brew confirmed that it is liquidating some of its businesses facing financial difficulties amid a strategic review. Brew told the stock market in a statement that the restructure will see the company retain control of some of its subsidiaries and liquidate others in a move that will allow the group to focus on its core business. It has been in a trading halt on the ASX since the 9th of May. As part of the latest restructure, Mildura Brewery Pub Brackets Brew Limited and Mildura Brewery Brew Limited and Sorrento Brewhouse are to be liquidated while control of the business for Australian Draft will return to brew. And the Carlton and United Breweries contract brewing deal signed in 2020 is unaffected. That's the news that you need to use while you brew your brews. And... Uh, on that, if you need to go, you can go. If not, join us below the fold. There we go. Little Bang. Now, isn't this an interesting, timely one uh, given – and I'm really careful that I don't want to go 
right down the rabbit hole of equity crowdfunding again. We've uh, sort of done it to death. But isn't it interesting that this week we have had a sale? Um, we don't know what the little bank sold for, but there were some very interesting conversations with uh, Ryan about the challenges that they had in valuing the business. Now, in, in actually selling the business rather than, you know, magic, give me money for free um, sale, um, they, they got in external consultants. They said that they got a number of them. The valuations were very, very close, but not equity crowdfunding money. Um, the, a, a very, very different multiple was used. And uh, the, the thing that I found most interesting was that Ryan did say that between him and Phil, who had started the business as a bit of a wacky side project, they neither of them took salaries for the first time. So there was a lot of sweat equity, but then a lot of passion. You know, it's really a reflection of them and they're very, very passionate. And I got the sense that for one, uh, Phil's moving to Western Australia, for one to have to buy the other out, it was very, very hard to come to a valuation where one paid the other a financial dollar that truly represented the emotional investment that the other person made in a way that left them both feeling good about what they had. And so the the best option was to go to an independent party who bought the whole thing and then they both essentially got the same. So one didn't end up... Well, you see this in divorces all the time, don't yeah. you? Like people go, um, we'll go and get an independent valuation. It comes back and somebody says, yes, but I built the fence on that weekend. You know, like yeah. there's this all this emotional that goes into it, which is why couples end up selling and liquidating the asset at the end of a marriage because it's actually all of the emotion in the, the, the split there. So, I mean, that makes perfect sense mm. if what you want is to retain your friendship post-sale, right? So that So there's no sort of hard feelings, as it were, that somebody had not received a fair amount. So that seems fair. That seems reasonable. Well, it, it, it seems everything about the way that they've done it has been, you know, it, it looks entirely professional. You know, they, they've done it. They've, they've done it with respect to each other. They've, they've announced it, you know, and, and they've sold to a hotel group. Well, so. that's the big, I mean, Matt, that's the big thing here, this hotel group sale. And I know that um, we had discussed it in other contexts previously, but we thought think that we're going to see hotels try and buy breweries um, with a view that they're going to be getting the beer that they now make with a $350,000 government tax rebate. Yeah. tax rebate. So they've got a brewery. Um, they get the benefit of um, putting their own beer on over their own bars. So they get that increased um, they get, margin. They get the, margin. They get the best yep. margin for their beer. The government gives them $350,000 back. Gives them $350,000 back. And they get to say they're supporting independent and local because it's mm. independent and local. And Meanwhile, so they've still got 80% of their tax taps or you know significant up by to big brewers other breweries. that they're getting a a the discount on, rebate for the, on for the purposes of build your pub, mm. um, and they get to, and they've got the economies of scale of often, you know, multiple venues, um, and so, and you know, I don't know in South Australia whether they have pokies, but you know, they get the added don't know benefit. I don't know. No, yeah. no it, it's it's an absolutely um, perfect scenario to have. Yeah. I've been wondering for years why some of the the small to medium hotel groups weren't doing this, um, and I actually had discussed it with one. Oh, quite a number of years back now that were sort of poking around the idea themselves. And it's absolutely perfect sense to to be doing that. For all the, all the reason you've said, it helps on both businesses, you know, perfect yeah. vertical integration there. The It's good for the brewery side of the business because then you know where your beer 
is going, you yep. know you're going to get paid. because You've got the effective yep. tap contract because you know exactly. you can forecast supply. You can, you know, you've got the scale across your multiple venues. It's a very sensible and very logical um, thing for a, a, a small to medium pub group to do. What does it mean for small brewers now, though? Because, you know, taps have always been hard to come by because of contracts. We're not seeing more hotels being built. Um, so, you know, there are, there's not more taps coming on stream. And this is what uh, Ryan made the point of saying, you know, the number of breweries has doubled. The number of taps hasn't doubled for them to access. Um, and now, you know, assuming that contracts aren't lessening the way that they look like going about five years ago, contracts have been, um, you know, reaffirmed. But those one or two independent taps that would have been picked up by the small brewers is now going to house beers. And house beers where they get, you know, part of the um, argument for why um, or or part of the push for why large breweries had to buy their own craft brands was that consumers were driving a need to have a range of options Mm. even within the hotels. So even if eight taps belonged to large brewery, they could present a range of options. And then the last two were sort of often um, local, but they could say they were supporting local, but were could be your more experimental styles. Mm. If your house brand is experimental styles and you're getting the margins, I mean, you, you're getting – a consumer isn't going to go in and say, I can't get my um, porter and it's winter because you're going to still be able to small batch that out of Most people aren't going to know that, it's, that yeah, and it's going to look like you've got an independent brewery on That's because they're right. not going to know that you own that little bang is owned by the, 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 well, the hotel group. It still is an independent brewery. Oh, sorry, it is, too. yeah. So, but what in, I meant, independent of that hotel. In some ways, it depends on how you look at it all too. Like in some ways it's house brand and – a little bit like when uh, Endeavour Group and so forth have their house brands, except yep. this oh, one yeah. they've got a, they've got a bricks and mortar yep. brewery to be doing it in. Uh, but it probably doesn't change much as far as tap availability goes because those um, taps, depending on what they want to do with the output for the brewery, they're still needing that same amount of output. It's just that mm. this is controlled as to where it's actually going to be mm. that output there. But um, if, if if more and more do it, because you know, we are seeing a large number of hotel, uh, the the Katarina Group um, in Brisbane has the. Valley Hops, and you are seeing in, in WA apparently it's a it's another thing as well. So if those hotel groups are increasingly getting into breweries and those hotel groups were once, you know, had, you know, between six venues, 15 taps that were available to independents that are suddenly going to theirs, then... But it is this question of, well, what is independent? I mean, I wouldn't want to be the Independent Brewers Association, you know, trying to define this from all, mm. but like at what point does independent just mean not owned by a foreign entity, but you can be owned by a very large Australian entity with yep. multiple ho- holdings in, reta- in 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 vertical distribution. Like, at what point are you... Ultimately, it was only independent of the big two brewers. Right, because but so this is you're not the two big brewers, but yep. actually, like, if you're part of a... And part of that rationale, right, for we don't want to be the big two brewers is profits go overseas... You well, know, it's actually the amount of control they exert in the marketplace that can stifle competition and, and innovation. Um, what was the only really argument that I heard, um, you know, even before the AI, the CBIA changed to the IBA. And so then, you know, we went. We we've recently had this conversation about, well, at what point, you know, are the retailers actually, um, you know, really exerting influence in the marketplace? But if you start to look at large hotel groups, mm. so if you can, if Little Bang is now Adelaide and the hotel group can acquire more, and all of a sudden, 
all of the two taps at, at six pubs, eight pubs, ten pubs, twenty pubs are little bang. That is less taps available yeah. for other small breweries. Mm. But it's still those taps are still available in the marketplace. It's just there to find through from there. So instead of a little bang uh, taking up 20 taps across 20 different venues, it's 20 taps across yes. the one owner's venue. Yes. So there's yes. still the same amount yes. of taps in the marketplace. It's and just that's harder. not to say then that they're going to only – they're going to do it in that way. Yeah. They might pair back and what their um, offering is from the bigger players yeah. uh, so that they can have their beers – as the front and centre beers, and there still may be offerings from other breweries. In fact, if they're smart, that's exactly what they'll yeah. they'll, yeah. they'll do. That's yep. the smarter way it's to go around pretty good – you know, again – I'm usually the glass half full, Ian. I'm usually the one that, um, you know, Matt is saying, oh, you're always looking at the positive side of it, and look, here you are. Yeah, well, it, it just really does depend on how it's how it's rolled out, and yep. I don't see And, and, and we don't it. know, but, but that's where it's interesting that we ask hotel groups – doing that and you know i come back to there was such pressure on the government changing the excise rebate and you know even then you know, even when they sort of did it, i said like, careful what you wish for because you don't know how much competition it's going to be bringing in to to the industry over and above what already exists at least you are operating in a market that you know if the government changes and something makes three hundred fifty thousand dollars available you do see new players coming in um and competing or you see hotel groups who you know, it can guarantee the sale and basically get all of that back. In yeah, but that $350,000 doesn't really exist in that way. So that $350,000 only exists as that until you hit that mm. that threshold. Then you are paying um, oh, all, yeah. all that excise. But don't you always keep that three hundred fifty, and then you start paying it once you're over that? That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you don't get $350,000. You get up to that back. back. Yep. Uh, but then over there, you're still paying yep. the excise. So if you factor that in, in, you can't factor that into your modelling. You've got to look at that as bonus money than you can use in your in your business. Because otherwise, if you factor that into your modelling and your pricing, you're suddenly going to catch yourself out when you, yeah. When you hit okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what we actually had that well, discussion not, recently Not into your pricing, but like if you charge the, the same amount, there's $350,000 tax back you're getting from the government, isn't it? So, you know, when you... For on the first $350,000 worth of tax, you get back. Yeah, I think... You, you don't change your pricing. Yeah, that's right. If you don't yeah. change your pricing, if you, if you lower your pricing... why would you change your pricing? That's exactly. <laughs> that's yes, exactly. Yeah. You, you, you can't, you can't yeah. look at it that way. And also, with the wife of a pen, that $350,000 is gone. You yeah. know, that could change. We have a major recession or something like that, and the government just, you know what, we can't do this yeah, anymore. We don't. And it's because gone. business is so good at planning, um, you know, <laughs> looking ahead, you know. It's yeah, you, it, it's one that I just say to people, just forget that and then just be like, oh, that's right, I get this back. Yeah. Um, rather if only than people listen that. to us, though, Ian. Yeah. That's, that's the problem. We can tell them. But they don't listen. <laughs> they don't you can listen. lead a horse to water. Yeah. But also, look, we could look at this as just flipped around the other way. You know, there's all the talk about breweries with multiple venues. Yep. Or does Little Bang now have... Well, so it's really <laughs> yeah. interesting. As we were talking, I was thinking, um, so when we were in Western Australia, one of the panels that Bruce News was a part of um, was, you know, creating a world-class brew pub experience. And, and the challenge is going from a um, – and, and this was the sort of the classic conversation, but going from three mates in a brewery – so people weren't necessarily experts in hospitality. They were experts in making beer. And then they had to learn the hospitality skills in particular because the small brew pub model was coming on. And actually the folks on the panel were really talking about how in today's world you you can't have this 
second class offering for your hospitality. It needs to be at the same level. You need to be making excellent beer and have an excellent hospitality experience. So these hotel groups have got expertise in hospitality. And so actually, um, you know, that's a, that's a, bringing together of two sets of very separate disciplines um, which actually makes the whole offering stronger altogether right Ab- so absolutely you're going to get your beer served in a hopefully using those hospitality skills in a in a um, higher quality experience than you might have got if the hospitality was an afterthought yeah absolutely absolutely and it, it's just essentially that same scenario um, around as far as tap availability or whatever goes. It's just a different and, and possibly smarter way to go back backwards around it. Yeah, or just to your point about um, breweries that are opening multiple venues, the thing is most of them are putting on exclusively their beers. If you're yes. a hotel group, you're not going to – I can't see the Duxton group exclusively putting on little bang beers, um, for example. They probably won't have the they're volume. Probably, yeah. yeah, they probably so, won't have the volume. They won't there. But um, you know what? Why couldn't they? Why wouldn't they if they can set their brewery because up? Because they can to still it? make a fortune from rebates for the big players and independence yeah, doesn't matter to most all, consumers. If they're already established, you know, there's other reasons why you might want to look at it strategically for that too. Let's look to the UK mm. where um, traditionally um, breweries have owned pubs. Yeah. Mm. And where the so many of the pubs, I don't know the percentage, probably the largest percentage of the pubs are actually owned by the breweries, mm. you know, some of the most staggering amount of pubs. But yeah. that's a different, and, and most of them, and most of the pub groups have sold off the breweries now because there's more money in pubs than than making beer. Yeah, in I, the I, I UK, think, yeah, in the UK, I think well, a lot a of staggering it. amount of pubs over there are closing too. Mm. Um, it's it's yeah, um, there's there's groups set up for saving the the British pub. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's something that I've hasn't really happened here until more modern times. Breweries setting up multiple venues, and yep. I've been thinking for years, like, why not? That's how these breweries survive in the UK, and then they just sell their beer mm. through yeah. those. Well, through this those is, venues. I mean, it was um, Ben Krause from Bridge Road who had said they'd looked at the, um, I think it was, um, had looked at the um, Sprig and Fern model in. Um, so Tracy Banner UK came over. She set up Sprig and Fern Master Brewer in New Zealand, and they have had taverns, growing taverns across the country, selling exclusively their beer um, at, for many years. And and last time I think you interviewed uh, Ben when they were talking about multiple venues, that was the example that was given. Mm. As you know, he saw it and was like, "Why aren't we doing this?" And again, it spawns out of the UK. Yeah, and that it's concept. A, it's different. So here, generally, when the breweries are setting up multiple venues, they do it under their um, their brewery brand yes. name. Whereas over there, they don't. They give each it's one. The it's the fox and the hound, or yeah, the whatever. It's, it's the, the identity of that pub in that local area, and yeah. it just happens to have all their beers in it. Well, it is interesting because um, Matt um, was participated in a hotels association thing earlier this year, and um, you know the comment that that we've made and it came up again in, in WA a couple of weeks ago was that the the advent of brew pubs as we know them in Australia really pushed and has competed with hotels to be the new family space, very much like they are in the UK. Hotels had abandoned that space because of pokies. You know, they, they became much more pokey, you know, get people in Certainly on in cheap Queensland. food to sell alcohol or pokies and things like that in Queensland. But you know, pretty much, you know, it, it, even West Australia, Victoria, by and large, You've gone for scale, and so they've abandoned the family-friendly pub. You know, like when I was a kid, your parents would meet their friends um, in the beer garden, 
no beer gardens left. You know, you'd have pink lemonade and a packet of chips while the, the, the parents all talked. Um, Which is very much the still what it feels like in a lot of those small pubs in the UK. Like, mm, you've yep. still got the kids out the back, The you know. Um, so, hotels in Australia have kind of gone the other way, which created a space for brew pubs in Australia to fill that space and that offering, which they have done. Mm. And now, we're, we're coming back around where hotels are like, actually, we want to be more family-friendly offerings with more... Slowly. But it, it's hard but when you're that big. Um, yeah, that's course. the thing. So, you know, and we'll see. But it's, it's certainly one of the great advantages that small breweries have got because they feel different. You know, you don't have the plasmas around. Yeah. Now, another sale news this week, dropping uh, late Friday afternoon, Stone, one of the bastions of arrogant independence, um, sold to uh, Sapporo. Um, did anyone see this coming? I didn't see it coming, but I'm not surprised. And yeah. It makes perfect sense to me. Well, if you've been watching the recent law, um, the case with uh, Stone, yeah. um, trademark. The, the, the trademark, there was some financials released about, because they took on private equity about five years ago, um, and that was coming up f- for repayment, and very, very hard, because the, they, they took it at a time the industry was growing rapidly. It hasn't, and Stone's had a couple of missteps and things. So they had to do something. Um, but of course, you know, when Stone and Wood was so strongly building its brand around independence, nothing really surprises you when you see Stone brewing. Oh, I thought, I was like, did he just misspeak? Did he mean to yes. say Stone? I no. was trying to follow. Well, I, you, again, so Stone, uh, yeah. very much about independence. Greg Cook, you know, go, go yeah. back and listen to my chats with him. Um, he He's somebody that refused, despite the changing industry, he refused to change his narrative around, you know, what he stood for, even though the business clearly was. I wasn't surprised to see it coming because they're probably not a, uh, as big a name as they were in USB. They don't appear from my perspective to be a band that's in growth, mm. keeping yeah. it along. Um, it's probably very valuable to Sapporo with what they can do with it. I think that Japan is probably a big potential market for them. Mm. Utilising Stone's facilities in the US for production and distribution probably works in really nicely for all. And, you know, they all say, oh, we're not going to change. I probably don't see it changing because I don't think there's probably a need for Sapporo to change anything with it for it to fulfil needs for them. Mm. Supply. Is your um, uh, uh, supply thing for Sapporo uh, to have those stone products in Japan for distribution mm. and for helping them there? And then it's a distribution point from the US. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always sad to see the industry move, but as I've said before, it seems we were worthy all along. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, but it's just so telling of also how challenging it's been, you know, for a few years. Like, the, the, I mean, we talked about it last week, but it's, a, it's going to continue. Every time you think that you're coming to the end of, you know, COVID one year, COVID two years, COVID three years, now recessionary mm. pressures, inflationary pre- Like the end of it being difficult is not nigh. Like it's still – there's still quite a ways to go. And so if you are sitting there going, it's been a challenging time, Does this we want to hang up our boots. Does this represent the failure of, you know, I always come back to at the start of the craft beer movement it was – us versus them, good versus bad, you know, flavour versus fizzy yellow liquid. And that was very much the way that Stone um, and Greg Cook 
very much portrayed themselves as as being that. Does this sale of the brewery that was the you know, one of the last real flag bearers for um, passionate, angry independence selling to a big multinational brewery represent you know the 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 final curtain on that independence? No, maybe it's just a handing of the baton of that to someone else yeah. to take that position, or maybe like, hey, let's all be marketers here for a moment. We're handing the baton on to someone else, or maybe it's success because it's become to the point where the big guys need these guys to as mm. part of it there for them to survive. So maybe that's a different version of success. I, mean, I don't know. I'm just trying to sell it in different ways. Yeah, here. look, I, I think there are lots of small small breweries out there that are very passionately, fiercely independent. That that point that it was, the challenge is the market is so fundamentally different today than it was 15 years ago yep. that to survive being passionately, angrily independent is – and build from zero today with no significant capital is so much harder. Yep, but uh, and Ian is a lover of punk music, um, of the, the original punk. Um, you know, it was a rebellion against what went before um, yep. until money came in. And, you know, is there a parallel between the punk movement and craft beer movement? Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well... Um Let's go to the, the saying that I use that I introduced you to um, about 12 months ago that you've taken in your own direction. It's a post-craft. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, you know, I looked at it like uh, punk music and then what came after punk, so after punk, well, punk's still going. Uh, but um, Not, <laughs> I've, yeah. I've got a T-shirt. I'm going to digress a little bit here. <laughs> a T-shirt I really want to get that um, says punk is dad. <laughs> and um, anyway, so it led on then, you know, we had uh, New Wave, New Romantic uh, music and uh, post-punk. The post-punk music was still essentially punk music. It's just that they then thought punk had become a little bit of a caricature of itself and they yeah. wanted to do the same thing but in a mature way. And so we had, you know, the likes of bands like Fugazi, which come out of minor threat, uh, came on from there. You look at me like, I wish Vivian, our um, journalist, was here because she would know precisely what you're talking about and I feel like I should know what you're talking about. So, yeah, I started identifying... I don't feel like I should know what he's talking about. I started identifying myself as being post-craft when um, many of the things, the caricatures of craft Mm. had become of itself, I no longer wish to identify with, but I still wanted to do that same, carry on that same thing. And it's like, well, this is just a different mature taken movement on on from there and you know yeah you could look at it all all into music then what happens when the the um um the the thrash music scene you know moves on and and um big bands and slayer and metallica start getting you know massive contracts on from there and then what does and doesn't change them in that and is that mature you know metallica saying well we're just being more mature and moving on and slayer just going well Nah, and Metallica saying, you know, Slayer, you're just still being immature, and Slayer's going, no, we're just doing what we always do, and we're always going to do that. And that same parallel is going to happen in, in business. Absolutely. And that. Okay, who, who in the brewing industry, uh, you know, 15 years, 20 years on from the, you know, the, the modern birth of, of craft, um, for, you know, if you trace it back to around about 2000, who's still doing what they're doing? Who is keeping true to... Uh, but what does Who that mean? Yeah. yeah. So that's. But what does that mean, right? Like, I mean, we spoke to. Um, how old is Artisan Brewing in WA? 
Oh, he, well, he, he's been around for a long time, but it, the, the brewery itself is only about eight years old from memory. Right, so Sean was through, you know, like he makes lagers. They've always wanted to make like and, – and the universe, that the market, what consumers want and the universe of beer have spun around him and that brewery to come back to – the beers that he wanted mm. to make 15 years ago. Yep. So there there are people out there who've done that, but what they're not is they are not on Billboard household names. They are not – they are Slayer, not um, Metallica. You know, they haven't they haven't reached the lofty heights of selling for $170 million you, you, because you can't stand still if the world around you keeps spinning. Like you've got to keep in touch with the world and, and people are evolving as – consumers' preferences, the way we run our lives. like It's fundamentally the role of tech. I mean, it's just we're not in the same place as a world that we were 15 years ago. 100%. And it, it's, it's got to change, it's got to evolve. But clinging to the narrative of you – know, Greg Cook clung to the narrative that he was clinging to 15 years ago. And even when he – like, <laughs> it, was, it, it was hard to read his farewell post as well because he just refused to concede – you know, in, in Wallstead. You mean he should have changed his words from independence to custodian? <laughs> I mean, he, that's an evolved narrative. Well, it's an evolved narrative, but it's still just trying I'm to just put lipstick on a pig. We sold. But you you are allowed to change your opinion. I agree. But you can, but that's the thing. I'm saying you can change your opinion, but you need to change your narrative when you change your opinion. Matt just wants you to be honest about it. Yeah, well, you need to change your narrative. You can't stick to the same narrative. And, I mean, Greg Cook... When I did the thing with him in 2018, so the 2017, uh, 2011, 2018 thing, because that, that was one of the most painful things I've ever listened to it, in my entire it, life. It was, and I, I understand exactly what you're saying. What he needed to say in that scenario is, yeah, I did say that. You know what? I, I I've wrong. learned from there, or, or it's I've changed, yeah. or I've had the world's moved on, yeah. and this is what we've got to do now. And you know what? We still hold that true in our heart because this is what that was there, and we would love that. But you know what? Yep. This is the way that we can still try to accomplish our goals is because yep. we've got to blah blah. And we blah, have blah. to be a little bit more pragmatic because the yes. business has grown. We're not the scrappy young. All of that, and, and I would have absolutely championed it. Um, and I, I put a link into the to, to the podcast if you don't know what we're talking about, because it was it was excruciating to do. And I've never had such a strong negative response to a podcast that I've done than people who had to listen to that. But that all came out of a tweet that he'd said where he talked about um, insidious creep, and he was calling breweries out for insidious creep for you know compromising their values and I responded to his tweets so saying oh you mean like saying you would never send your beer to Australia and then sending your beer to Australia and he came back at me and sort of said oh look you don't know what you're talking about and I went oh, I think I do um let's yeah. have a chat about it and that was it, that whole chat came out of him refusing to say you know and I was sending him photos of beer that was past the 12 month use by date when he had originally said I'm only going to sell beer that is three months old um, and saying, well, we had to put it on. And I was like, yeah, but it's going longer than that. And he just refused to change his narrative, or and which I actually think is destructive for everybody else because it makes everybody that is being grown up and pragmatic um, look worse by comparison um, when, when you've got somebody who is doing the same thing but, ref- but still saying that... Not to bring else. it back to a valuation point, but it does bring you back to that point that says... Um, if everybody thinks everybody's talking about sky-high valuations, 
there are people who that maybe um, don't run the numbers in a brewery every day to know what things cost and what they're worth. And so you get other people, maybe with less knowledge, thinking that's what everything is valued in, in the industry. And that narrative about things can all sell really, really high, everything is worth, is actually having a detrimental effect in terms of a flow on. Um, and a couple of examples that have come up recently are, you know, people who've bought into breweries at a certain amount wanting to then take out their tiny little share but having an expectation of, what it's, actually of worth. what it's worth based on what they're seeing publicly rather than on maybe independent valuations that are suggesting this is mm. what, what you should get paid out. And so that's... Um, you know, to your point around narrative, it's actually detrimental to the industry um, if everybody sort of, you know, is coming in with expectations that are unrealistic. Well, let's uh, and and we, we do know what Stone sold for. Um, I think it was one hundred sixty five million dollars US. But when you break that down, uh, the valuation for Stone was five hundred and five dollars US per barrel um, price tag. So that's in Australian dollars seven hundred and thirty two dollars a barrel. Now a barrel is one hundred twelve liters. That's half the $1,100 per barrel that Boston Beer Company spent to merge with Dogfish Heads Brewery um, in 2019. Um, and it's also lower than the $660 per barrel that Monster Energy spent on the Kanaki Collective. Um, so, and, and to put that into perspective, so $732 per barrel for um, Stone Brewing, you know, a very old, storied, um, significant brand. Um, when I... And we don't know exactly what figures um, Bridge Road um, was making. I was told a couple of years ago that they were approaching a million litres. So let's say a million litres for a brand like Bridge Road, um, which is 8,500-odd barrels um, at 117 litres per barrel. That gives um, Bridge Road a valuation um, of $6,000 per barrel compared to 732 for stone. So I'll just... Leave that there. Leave that math. In terms, yeah. So you you work out how much passion is worth on an investment. That said, if you want to if you want to see breweries stay open and not sell out, as I said, the only way you can do that is by supporting them with your yeah, GoFundMe. GoFundMe with your GoFundMe campaign. And if you feel like you own a share of the brewery, even better. So if you were stone, Matt, and you were going to sell, well, you had to and take your independent to, seal off your. Um, you had to take your independent seal off your cans and other products what would you do it wouldn't even be that because you know like a lot of breweries are currently experiencing delays of some sort you know with transport um you know imports parts staff manufacturing and even print production lines are suffering some of these delays you know blowing out to unrealistic time frames for example up to 12 weeks just to produce print and supply empty beer cans ready for canning so if you were stone you, d- you don't want to wait 12 weeks to say that Take the independent seal off you. Oh, I really can. love how the intonation in your voice changes when you're doing the ad reads. I love it. Even before going on sale. These are not sustainable timeframes over any period of time. These timeframes are not something small to medium-sized brewers can endure, and nor should they. There are other alternatives available that do not compromise on design and colour and quality while cutting these timeframes by more than half, plus still comparable price-wise. Beer can labelling or sleeving is a far quicker way of getting your product in the hands of your patrons or consumers or beer drinkers much sooner and with no compromise of quality presentation. You don't compromise on taste, brewers, so why should you compromise on look? With so many different beer brands and products, now I'm leading to something, I'm building to something, you probably know where I'm going with this. Who should you call to get all of this and more? 
Ghostbusters? <laughs> no. <laughs> the, to it. <laughs> the guys at Rallings. Call them today and take advantage of alternative ways of getting your product to your beer drinkers quicker. Call the team on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au. And if you look at your phone right now, not when you're driving, obviously, but when you park, you'll see a link in the show notes so you can give them a call on that number. Do we call it a clap back to last week? I'm going to do a lap of honour on some of these. We talk, That we did, seems unsurprising and unlike you. Well, you know, when I'm right, I'm right. I'm, I'm, often, I'm not often right this quickly. You know, like if you wear flares for long enough, flares come back into fashion, you still say, hey, look, I was always fashionable. The truth is you were unfashionable for long enough to finally be back in fashion. This was a very, very quick, um, Matt being right, when I talked about last week, NRL putting out a media release talking about their partnership with Drinkwise. Fantastic initiative. They should be doing it. And I said, well, what are they doing to make sure that the players get the memo? And, of course, there was a, uh, a bit of footage where the winning team sitting around the changing rooms, one bloke stands up, challenges the other bloke to um, scull a beer. He sculls a beer to much jeering and uh, clapping from the other guys, um, all on you know TV. And when he goes to get the second one, that's when they cut. You know, I'm sort of... Drinkwise, as we're huge supporters of Drinkwise, um, as, as as you know, um, and responsible drinking generally, but it's one of those things that you need to be really, really careful because a media release is not going to have the same cultural appeal and import and impact as seeing a bunch of footballers sitting around clapping each other, you know, shotgunning a beer. What do you reckon? Yes. Yes. Yes, but I my only thing is get caught trying drink wise. It's better to try and to try to partner with the NRL to change the culture both within and outside the game well, than not to try. Get caught trying. That's how all I how say. about they try and change the NRL's public culture? And you know, because does anyone does anyone think that shotgunning a beer is responsible beer drinking in line with the message that Drinkwise is putting out? No. Then what has the NRL done? Who are partners with Drinkwise to well, distance themselves from that action. Let's let's look at it as in um, they're at work, yeah, um, and they're engaging in an yep. activity at work there that would get them disciplined yep. um, in in many other industries, pretty well any other industry. Yep. Not, not um, if you're the mayor of um, no, no, exactly. Redlands. Yeah, for Red, so Redlands. for everybody else, we've yes. got a controversy where the mayor of Redlands literally left a meeting with, uh, a with family, a family whose, whose children been killed by drink drivers uh, to be caught drink driving. And is refusing to step down and is refusing to accept that it affects her standing in the eyes of the it, public. It affects public institutions. And the challenge is, much like, um, you know, if to your point, in any other workplace or most other workplaces, you would be um, stood down or terminated for that kind of behaviour in the workplace. If any of my staff, though, photographed um, in their work uniforms at work, sculling beer, um, they would be disciplined or dismissed. The, the, the big brewers sack um, their sales reps yep. if they blo- if they get done for drink driving, and uh, which you can understand. But you know, when politicians don't, you know. It's I bit- mean, here it's so uh, so it's they're not they are in their work uniform, but they're not driving. They're going to be get, so so. This isn't sort of something that's illegal, right? It's not but, illegal, but, but they're they're is- they're at work and they're consuming alcohol I, in a manner that's not appropriate. I, I so agree if with that. If they're doing it, I've got no problems when people. Post a photo of 
uh, an NRL player sculling a beer in their time off. It's there. It's like, leave them alone. Yeah. It's a private time. I agree. You know, so this is leave exactly... Leave them alone then, but at the moment, they're at work. I agree. And this is the point that I said to Matt. I was like, why is that even in the locker rooms? Just get it yes, out. Get it and out. then it yep. can't even happen. Yep. Go back to your hotel room. Go back to think, celebrate there behind closed doors with no cameras where you are not standing up and saying as as leaders of the community that that's a good way to behave and then that's your private time you can do what you want but why is it in the locker room on camera yeah, that is I, so I dumb been drinking in that area there because they are at work or if that's not at work and they're in a locker room getting dressed because they finished their but what shift the NRL there's done? no right for a camera to be in there yeah that's right yeah. and we get i gave the example that said you know like ash barty gets presented with a a a bowl of um, beautiful glassed beers and sort of mm. has three sips and it's all very, you know... But this is the problem so, because the, so the, 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 these two things are conflated. You know, when her having a responsible drink to celebrate the way that we all do and is legal and appropriate gets criticised because it f- comes under the same level so of behaviour. So there's a problem there where a woman having a beer is deemed as inappropriate whereas some blo- and she was having a drink in moderation, yep. whereas some blokes, go, you know, sculling a bottle is deemed, well, that's just boys being boys. That's Yeah, so, so that was Matt's mm. point. That was exactly Matt's point, whereas he's like, it's boys being boys. And I was well, trying to make Well, it's not boys argument. being boys. Well, if it is, why can't Ash Barty have a beer? It's exactly the yeah, same then. But, well, and, and her one's in moderation, whereas if they're dr- – that's – drinking beer in... So I was just about to say, so Matt, if it was a post-match thing and they were all sitting down and they had their beer in a nice glass and they were clearly not scaling They can drink out of the can, I'm not a snob. But just not. (laughs) So if they were photographed like that in their uniforms having a beer, right, not... It's it's the act of showcasing excessive drinking. cheering on a guy for excessive drinking. and And, you know, and again, I'm sort of looking, watching and assuming, because he then moves to, you know, he's a girl, watch this, you know, it looked like he was gesturing and saying, I'm going to do it again, and reach, and that's when they cut, and then the hosts were all nervously looking at the screen. So, you know, like, it, it's 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 unedifying for beer. Beer has a perception problem, and this is a big part of it. So so that's my view from a um, beer advocate's point of view, but the NRL, days before, had come out telling patrons to respect drinking and behave appropriately and partnered with Drinkwise and, you know, put out a very self-referential media release, what have they done when their players have in the workplace or, you know, on on camera um, when they're representing the NRL done to come out and say, well, actually, that is, you know, has has the, the player been suspended, has, or anything like that? Because... Breach, is it a breach of you know, the player code? How would the sponsors feel when their product is being consumed in, in such a way and not, not having a good look? Whereas if they're all sitting there just you know having a yarn and, and drinking beer in a, in a um, responsible way, they'd probably feel great about it. But when it's done in that way and it probably is like, uh, maybe that's not how we want our product to be seen. Exactly. And, and the challenge is that's not to say you can't celebrate after winning the State of Origin. Just no. don't celebrate in a way that is irresponsible for the young viewership that idolise NRL players. Mm. Mm. So I think we've yeah you know, I think we've flogged that horse. Flogged that one. <laughs> flogging a dead horse. Um, another one, uh, just a, another interesting one. After we'd recorded the podcast last week, UK sales of low and non-alcoholic beers almost doubled, but will remain niche. So there were a couple of articles that I shared um, looking at you know again been saying for a while that 
whilst there has been significant growth in the alcohol-free market, considering how much attention it's been getting, the growth is very insubstantial, particularly given how small the base is. Um, so I think 3.2, almost doubled to 3.1%. Um, you know, still, I, I still don't think it's a saviour of the industry that a lot of people have said. No. Um, actually, I had an interesting chat on because Dry July starts tomorrow, so you'll be listening to this in Dry July. A lot of our listeners are actually doing it, um, having seen Facebook posts, which is awesome. Um, I, I did a mainstream radio interview again because Dry July, they're wanting to look at the alternatives. And I'm very, very concerned at the moment about the demonization of alcohol, not that people are drinking less, not that people are being more mindful, not that people are giving up alcohol, but there is simultaneously with that a very like you know, a, a, a net that there are no positives to alcohol that it's, there's only negatives and so it's almost where um, sugar salt and fat were um, over the last you know 20 years and you know so you got low fat milk because people thought that four percent fat was too much over two percent or you know people would stop uh, consuming avocados or eggs because they saw it as cholesterol and, and and fattening and you know there was no balance to to the discussions because you had a whole lot of influences and a whole lot of people pushing the no fat um, option forgetting that we consume fat for a reason, and in in moderate, and I'm not a nutritionist, so I'm just so please don't take diet advice from me. But in the conversation around alcohol, um, it isn't just negatives. You know, beer of itself, um, in moderation, is reasonably healthy. So long as uh, you know, somebody who I spoke to today said, you know, so long as um, you know, it, 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 it's the servant, not the master, um, and. There is so much positive socio- socialization that comes out with the moderate consumption of alcohol. It, it does release serotonin and dopamine in us. It makes us feel good. It um, you know, helps us build, you know, friendships um, based on you know trust um, in in a positive way. That sounds like you're sort of getting drunk with your mates kind of thing, but it's not that. There are so many positives, and I really worry that at the moment alcohol is going to be absolutely demonized rather than sort of seen as something that does have its uh, you know does have a, have a healthy place in society yeah that's absolutely a possibility um, that's that build up has been happening for yep. um, a number of years now um, there is also the thing with some of these uh, alcohol break periods of Feb fast or dry July that I have a concern with is that it's then the build up to um, a binge thing of like, yeah, oh, no, exactly. no, I don't drink then, but then I drink. I can um, reward myself so, now. Yeah, and it's like, no, that's that's bad. That's, that's yeah. bad. Let's have moderation May next year. Yeah, well, but why don't we well, just have, have moderation all the time? Well, no, like, I this know. Is, but, but this is my thing with dry July. You see a lot of people – and look, it started as a fundraiser for – Great purposes, right? So it was there to fundraise, you know, uh, men's mental health, prostate cancer. Like it actually came out of a good place. It was there to do something. But it's now become this sort of entrenched societal thing where people use it as their month off. Um, They're not fundraising for anyone else. They're using it to sort of lose weight, feel good about themselves and then getting shit-faced on the 1st of August. And actually... That says that you don't, as an individual, if you need that month off because your relationship with alcohol has become so unhealthy that you cannot moderate, then maybe you need to take a step back and go, how can I use this month to think about fundamentally changing my My relationship with alcohol? And I'm not suggesting don't drink, but what does a better, you know, drinking in moderation, you know, 
what are the other things that you can do? And so, but that message about like, if you really need dry July and your goal is to, I know, lose a couple of kgs at the gym this month and then get back on it. Like, I think we've lost the essence of what dry yeah. July was supposed to be. Yeah, I think you're right. I fully, fully agree with that. And that's even like when people are saying they're, they're regimented alcohol-free days, but yeah. then they drink. It's like, I don't think, I think you probably need to think drinking full stop. Yeah. If that is the way that you have to do it in order to be able to moderate your alcohol over an X period, if you can't moderate it on a day to day, week to week, mm. and you must ban yourself in these periods there, that's a red flag to me about your, your drinking full stop. And, and, and you should be looking at that. And yeah, the likes of Dry July as a great fundraiser and, you know, doing something like that. We we used to do things at, at school, raise fundraisers and we're not gonna eat you're not gonna eat sweets over this yeah, period exactly. here and blah blah blah. As that sort of thing, great. But if you're having to do that to moderate your alcohol p- period over a year and that, you probably should think about yeah. The one can I'll say, because um, I used to think exactly the same thing, and I think if that's your attitude, it is problematic. The one thing I'll say about an extended period of time is it does give you that 30 days to actually s- assess your life so and, and positive changes. So, yeah, so you, you take the break. You say, actually, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, it is easy to get up in the morning if I don't have you know three beers um, the, the, the night before um, and all of those sorts of things. There are positives as about that As long as you're taking that period so of time taking, yep. to 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 go how do I improve this as opposed to yeah 14 days I've got my beer you know like there's got to be a way yeah I've seen posts on on beer groups of people as they stockpile a beer over July and getting ready for the first of August yeah which is pointless yes yes completely pointless um now we, we do have a Brewery of the Week this week, uh, and it's brought to you by Bluestone Yeast. Blue, Bluestone Yeast ships all over the country and uses sustainable and environmentally friendly packaging. You can find information about their packaging at planetprotectorpackaging.com. Of course, there's a link to that in the show notes. And that keeps the yeast cold for up to five days. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03-8518-3172 and talk all things yeast. Now... I was in Sydney the weekend before last, um, purely not for work, but <laughs> happened to be in Balmain, swung by uh, White Bay um, Brewery, and it's my brewery of the week because, it, again, it was a Saturday afternoon, it was a cold, wet Saturday afternoon, there were people with dogs, exactly what we were talking about, it was exactly the sort of place that breweries are um, occupying these days. It was the local community getting together in this industrial space that was just well fitted out to sit and you know have a nice relaxing social encounter no plasma screens no anything like that people talking you barely even saw except for my phone taking a photo of the beer so i could put it on social media um you could basically not see a, a screen it was people talking and engaging and uh and, and you know it's a brewery so i did have some of the beers and the beers were very very good as well so very nice pilsner a gantry pilsner i've had that beer yeah yes. I like the label to it. It's the homage yeah. that's paying, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so um, White Bay, if you're in Sydney, if you live in Sydney, get along. If you haven't been already, if you're visiting Sydney, get along to White Bay. And uh, that Brewery of the Week is brought to you by Bluestone Yeast. Cool. Can't wait. Now, the, the one other story that we probably need to talk to, and we are running out of time, is uh, now we, we put this up knowing what it was going to do on social media. Um, Fella, which is a uh, maker of alcoholic seltzer, has celebrated Dry July by releasing a non-alcoholic seltzer, which 
So this is a media release. This is from a media release. Fella. Yes, that wasn't our story. It was um, uh, fella um, took the alcohol out of their alcoholic seltzer, which doesn't that make it seltzer also a soft drink? And haven't fizzy water fizzy water hasn't flavored fizzy water. And but hasn't that been the point that's been made on Facebook? And yes, that is you know we rolled our eyes, we face palmed all of that sort of thing when we got the media release. The one thing I'm going to say as the devil's advocate. Um, on this one is the challenge that you have if you want to not consume alcohol, um, particularly in licensed premises, is as an adult, you don't necessarily want to be having the lemon, lime and bitters or the soda water or something like that. You want a drink that feels like an adult beverage. Um, and seltzer, um, these, these you know modern uh, flavoured seltzers, you know, they have a different branding, they have a different brand proposition than your traditional Coke, Diet Coke, Pepsi, um, Fanta type thing. So if you want to stand in a pub where people are drinking seltzer and not consume alcohol, it's the same you know, argument as beer. So it's an adult lifestyle beverage much more than it's a soft drink is the way that I'm pitching that. Um, and, you know, again... To, to take the cynic's view of my own defence, people are stupid. Um, you know, if you can market it the right way, brewers had no luck marketing low-carb beers as diet beers because blokes didn't want to be seen dieting. So they made the same beer and called it low-carb beer that played to a fitness because you care about your health um, or you care about your fitness. They reframed it and suddenly had a 10 12% market share uh, for, for a beer category that couldn't be sold beforehand. Yes, it's fizzy water with flavouring in it, but if it makes people feel good about not drinking, no harm in that. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that one um, because, yeah, I had all the reactions that probably many yeah. have. Oh, we, we um, all had we those all, reactions, yeah. And, and but you know, you, you do make an absolute point there, and um, a non-alcoholic adult beverage. Um, and that's where it, where it is. It's just that it is, it is a humorous concept. <laughs> it's, the circle has closed so quickly from soft drink to alcoholic seltzer to alcoholic seltzer to non-alcoholic seltzer. But I'm wondering if I'm marketed a product and I put it in a nice slimline can and yep. um, I made um, a non-alcoholic alcoholic seltzer that was cola-flavoured and had zero sugars... Um, could yeah. you mark that? It's exactly the same as that product that's already on the shelf called Coke Zero. Yeah, so, I mean... Because it's how you, how you term it there and that, making someone feel that Coke yep. is seen as teenagers, young persons yep, drink exactly. or as a mixer. Yep. But then if you brand it in such a way and put it across that someone feels comfortable as... 100%. The yep. adult beverage for them, a mature beverage. But but this, you know, comes back to, and I think I made this point a couple of weeks ago, and this is my current hobby horse, um, which is that just the lines and definitions about what things are are mattering much less to, you know, the data out of the US is, is showing that people care much less whether they're consuming a, whether it is a a beer or a seltzer or a wine or a hard something or like the lines between all of these products are being blurred in the minds of the consumer. They just want something if they like it. So um, to but your One of the po- things that they'll like is the brand. That's that what I, so that's what I was just going to yeah. say. So if you see something that is, that meets your need, whatever your need is, um, and that's a nice, beautiful can and it has the right lettering and it doesn't look like it's designed for young kids. Yep. Um, you don't care what that is. 
Like, you, you know, because an alcoholic-free seltzer, if you ever had followed anything, is a soft yeah. drink. Yeah, yeah. So so I think it's your – like I just Framing think and branding. Branding and, and labels are just yep. mattering a lot less these That's days in saying. terms of – yeah, I don't disagree. It's just, um, but again, we we all had the same reaction, yes, which is legitimate as well. But it also, I mean, I wonder. So this was a point somebody else made. Can you sell the fella free at the same price you sell the seltzer? How much pay- do they charge it for a lemon lime bitters at a pub? Yeah, so like if you can sell you know. it for more because it's got prettier branding, but you're actually not paying any excise on it because it contains no alcohol, um, you're winning, aren't you? But I. I Got a post mix fizzy water yeah. with a slice of lime in it for four dollars. Yeah, so you know, so it's tap water that they've put some CO two in and then put a slice of lime. That's an four expensive pack piece of lime for sixteen bucks. Yeah, that's a retail price, and you're talking yeah. uh, price Pub. across a bar. Mm. Yeah, so you're getting served for that, Matt, and hopefully you're getting great service for four dollars. And someone's cleaning up after you. Yeah. Oh yeah, they got to clean the water. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not complaining. But no, I'm just, you're saying yeah. that's cheap compared to what they would sell. I wasn't saying anything. I was just saying a glass of water costs you four dollars across the bar. Yeah, and a fella free might cost you more. Yeah. yeah. And if it's if it's worth it to you, you'll pay for it. If you want to take up that point, producer at brewsnews.com.au. These beers aren't going to make and sell themselves. So if you're making beer or you're selling beer, we'll let you get back to your job. Thank you for listening. That wraps up another week of the news and the views. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, Sabrina Kunz, and Ian Watson. Thank you for joining us again, Ian. Thank you. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Yakima Chief Hops, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Bluestone Yeast and Thirsty Merchants for their support in making this episode possible. Thank you all for listening. You can share your thoughts by emailing producer at bruisenews.com.au or leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service. And with that, we're boomless, but we're out. Boom.